0: One thing that he said was, what would your sister think? What kind of role model are you getting to your younger sister? And that, I think the reality of my behavior, the impact, the depth of impact that my behavior could offer was shown back to me in a very real way. More real than get in trouble yourself, grounded, whatever. That's one thing, but my tolerance for... Hurting my own family Mm -hmm. is, like, very low. I I don't want to do it. And um, that, that, I think, was a turnaround time.
1: Hey, friends. This is your host, Cesar Romero, and you're listening to Beyond the Job Title Podcast, the show that explores the human experiences that shape our professional and personal lives. My guest for this episode is Albert Chun. Albert transitioned from being an award-winning teacher to building startups. Amongst his many accolades, we have been a two-time co-founder of a tech startups, co-founder of an e-commerce brand, Harvard Venture Fellow. He's built two customer success teams from scratch and he's helped startups triple and double their their revenue and he's also been a teacher at number one u.s school in the u.s and many more and in this episode we're gonna dive deeper into some of the lessons that he's learned on this transformational path of making the pivot from education into tech and before we dive into the episode i have one small favor to ask if you find something valuable and if you enjoyed the episode please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes Thank you so much for joining. And here is my conversation with Albert. Albert, thanks so much for coming on the show and taking the time to share a bit about your journey with us. We appreciate you. And while I was reviewing the notes, one of the things that stood out to me that you wrote there was the relentless pursuit of the mission. And I figured I wanted to start with that. If someone were to ask you, hey, Albert, who are you? And what mission are you on? What would come to mind and what would be the first thing that that you would share with this person?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Now, I think for me, it it actually started way back when I was in college trying to decide what to study. Is it pre-dental? Is it education? I ended up being a teacher, going from being a teacher to school leader and working in tech and customer success and operations. It's always been Pretty simple. It's help others, right? I think, I actually think a lot about Toni Morrison. She has this quote that says, the function of freedom is to free others. Mm. And I feel similarly, I've been helped tremendously. So many mentors, older, my older brother, my family, and all these uh, people who, my wife, all these people were such immense um, pillars of support for me. And it would... It only feels right and natural for me to provide that level of support and help to others. Um, so whether it was in the nonprofit sector or in the private sector, um, I found that has been the most central theme in my career.
1: I love that. Helping others always. Yeah. That's like the ultimate purpose, right? That's what we're here for. No. Yeah. And when you were deciding back in college, what path to pursue, what prompted you to go after education?
0: So when I was a student, I was a terrible student. I was a huge troublemaker. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I had gotten into so many altercations, all of the things. Definitely gave some gray hairs to my mother and what was such a major intervention was i had a a whole group of mentors from cal who intervened in my life spoke into my life and coached me helped me develop not only academically but personally and i might argue the personal unlock led to academic unlocks Mm. and when i experienced that level of it was almost a transcendent experience honestly i almost It sounds a little extreme, but I almost felt like an animal before. I just had, I had a lizard brain mentality reward. What is (laughs) the operating at a very like basic binary level. And I think, yeah, there was just so much that was unlocked for me personally. And it led to a series of subsequent wins that I can't help, but attribute to that season. And so when I was in college. I had the opportunity to work with like juvenile halls and some of the most troubling schools in the Bay Area and, and some of the most troubling students. And mm-hmm. I just threw myself into it. Like I having been an intent having been in juvenile hall when I was a student, going back, working with students, I was working with students like 30, 40 hours while being a full-time student, awarded my own class almost all but one of my students got their high school diploma these are like the kids who were at the brink these are the 17 year old kids you mm. messed up you're going you're getting tried as an adult like yeah it was tough and so for me that, there was nothing more rewarding than kind of going back and giving back in that way and yeah so that that's what
1: kind of pushed me to, to education do you remember the specific mentor or the specific moment maybe uh specific message that got through to you and, and that got you to woke up, and change your behavior. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was curious about that.
0: Great question. So <clears throat> it was probably like the 10th fight I had gotten into when I was 14. Yeah, I, it was one of the last days of school. I got into this fight, run away from the cops and got pulled in the back seat. And the guy who pulled me over was the school resource officer at my younger sister's middle school. Mm -hmm. So this officer, his name is officer Haramaki. And at the time I, my sister meant the world to me. And one thing that he said was, what would your sister think, Mm -hmm. what kind of role model are you being to your younger sister? And that, I think the reality of my behavior, just saw just the the impact, the depth of impact that my behavior could offer was shown back to me in a very real way, more real than get in trouble yourself, grounded, whatever. That's one thing, but my tolerance for hurting my own family Mm -hmm. is like very low. I I don't want to do it. And um, that That I think was a turnaround time. And I'd be remiss to say I'm personally a Christian and a lot of things dropped in that moment uh, when I realized just a spiritual turnaround. And after that, just had a lot of mentors. I can name many of them. Daniel Yu, Daniel Byung, Johnny Kim, Janice Kim, all these people, right? And these were all people who were about five years older than me. Um, They were like sophomores, juniors in college. And they would spend so much time mentoring us, like on a week to week phone calls, endless, like just one-on-ones coaching us through. And, and that part, there's not one moment, it's probably just a general long-term relationship, Mm -hmm. but that was the most acute point was seeing my own mess in the mirror.
1: I love that. And one of the questions that people ask often is how do I find mentors? Right. And I wanted to ask you in your case, was it something that happened by chance, you know, because of the environment and the circumstances that you were in? Or at some point, were you intentional about, you know, what this person looks like they could be a great mentor? Let me reach out to them. Yeah. What what was the process for you like to find mentors? This is such a good question. I didn't like, I will say one thing is.
0: I had always had mentors in my life, but it was never formalized or crystallized in the way that I kept hearing people talk about it. Great. Everyone talks about mentors. was like, Oh, he's my mentor. Well, I have coffee with my mentor. And then I was like, oh man, I want someone named mentor. <laughs> all the while, official. I, while I'm like having lunch with all these like road scholars and engineers and chemists and all these like incredible people founders of startups and all these things and I'm learning life from them and I'm like oh, I wish I had a mentor it's like dude, they're all around you right and that's one part and I think I was just in a hub in a community namely my church where there were just mm. so many generous people with people who were generous with their time and significantly accomplished people but I think as I grew went on in my relationship it was just how do I maintain those relationships it wasn't I'll be honest. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a, like a CRM. It wasn't my Rolodex looking like it was, Salesforce? Hey, it was, Hey, staying in touch, currently asking questions. I think that was like, I have a, just a general, like an insatiable curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really love one-on-one conversations and I don't mind asking why five times to someone and digging through and struggling and following up and thanking them afterwards and keeping them up to date. thats just like my natural. And then when I went over into, I think the private sector, mm-hmm. it was, I, yeah, it was just, I, it's something I personally maintain on a quarterly basis, just keeping in touch with people who, um, I admire at different levels of professional career. Someone who's relatively my peer, some people who are younger and more junior. I consider those, you know,
1: while I may be considered some type of a mentor, the lessons are everywhere. I love that you mentioned uh, being curious. And, and, and I think that's the key, right? If you're generally curious about someone's background, feel free to reach out and ask like a genuine question, right? Most, most often than not, people will, will reciprocate and kind of see through, hey, this person is actually being genuine. Like they're actually curious about it. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of spam out there, <laughs> so people have this guard, right? But I think as long as you can show that you are actually curious, that that kind of open doors. It's like magic. <laughs> it's very true. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, yeah, I think it's. I think deep down, like we like to help others, and mm-hmm. I think the act of someone asking for that advice or help or counsel or what have you, that signals a significant. It signals a lot about you, mm. right? What does it probably say? Sounds like you're probably not cocky or arrogant or proud or think you know it all, right? Like right. it probably shows you're a little bit extroverted. You're willing to put yourself out there, be vulnerable. It says that, I mean, we don't think about all those things, but it signals quite a bit. And I think, and I will say this, there are some people who do ignore you. best. I've, <clears throat> I've certainly asked enough people to get rejected or be ignored. i I mean, I've, I've talked to people where they're like, Hey, Albert, you don't know shit about this. I'm like, well, that, that hurt my feelings, but that's also feedback. Great. you I didn't ask you a great question there. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should not have asked this senior level person, this mm. intro question that I could have probably gotten it from anyone or from the internet. And so even though some of those things may be a bit prickly or uncomfortable, it's all good feedback.
1: Yeah. Being open to feedback, right? That's yes. super important. Now, I want to flip it here in, because I know mentorship is a big part of how you carry yourself professionally and personally. Is there an instance where you had a mentee where you got to see a transformation in them? Maybe something you said, or maybe throughout mentorship, throughout the years or the months, you were able to see the before and after. What was that like?
2: Yeah.
0: I'll be one, I'll be careful to use the word mentee personally, not on you, but on me, because when it comes to these things, it's like I offered earlier, man, I'm learning something from you and it's this two-way relationship, but one person on my team, there are multiple, I'll just choose one. His name is, actually won't share his name. I don't want to embarrass him, but he came in like with no customer success experience at all. Mm. He had a chip on his shoulder because he was trying to finish his undergrad degree and mm. he's a few years behind, a bit older. And he just, he was such a relentless worker, great attitude, all the things, but they didn't have quite the framework, the North Star, the guidance, the structure, the scaffold to grow. Had a litany of bad managers in the past, a lot of pettiness, a lot of small-minded stuff. And everything I offered to that guy, he just took, absorbed and ran with it. And it was smallest things right it's like hey albert i spent five hours making this one pager instructional look at this and i looked at it, i was like whoa this looks like shit <laughs> i was like wow you spent you wasted so much time and it looks like garbage and i sent and no, i'm pretty candid with him good and i didn't say <laughs> all of those things he'll laugh in hindsight but i showed him this tool called scribe as an example He's like, I, show, I did what he did five hours. It took me like 30 <laughs> seconds. He's, and it was little things like that. She didn't take it any type of way. Oh, well, mm-hmm. that's great feedback. Great yeah. tool. His decks transformed. The way he showed up in meetings, he used to take up a lot of airspace, started asking better questions. He, he had no boundaries, started building boundaries, started taking on more while doing less. It was fascinating. I mean, he got promoted four times in 10 months started taking on, went from an IC to a manager, to taking on these different verticals and an absolute, the territory of absolute ambiguity and building structure, making something out of nothing. The hardest part about getting something zero to one. And yeah, not, I mean, there, and there are all of these different hygiene metrics where it double, triple all the things and immensely proud of him. And, and that happened to several people
1: on, on my team in the last couple of years. I love that. And I love that you're honest. So you, you don't sugarcoat things. It's like, yeah. it's either black or white. Oh, 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 yeah. I mean,
0: cause I said, there's, there is a, there's a balance to everything, right? There is a season of coddling, hand holding a little bit. There's a season for that. Yeah. And there's also a season of, Hey, like you can do more than that. Yeah. I mm-hmm. expect a bit more. Oh, well, if you're going to ask me for feedback, don't give me feedback at 60% done get it mm-hmm. to 90, and then let's talk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to bring up a parent analogy here, but it's like that, right? Yeah. There are yeah. seasons of doing a little bit both, and then and what ends up happening
1: is people surprise you when you have high expectations of them. That's exactly what I was thinking. You read my mind. It, people rise to the level of the expectations let's, that you set on them, right? Yeah. Even your kids, right? Let's take it back to what was that moment where you feel like, Hey, I want to transition from education into tech, right? Like why, what was a pivotal moment? What prompted that? What were some of the challenges that you experienced and yeah. How was, how was that leap? Yeah. Great question. So one, I
0: will say, I think I was practicing the skill of risk-taking well Mm. before I was doing this and. Before I was doing this, I was, I was thinking about a pivot for a long time, Caesar, and I'll, I'll never forget what my, a friend of mine, a mentor friend of mine, he's a founder of an ed tech company out in the Bay area. And he told me, he said, Albert, no matter what industry or whatever you do, it will always be valuable to work really hard. He said, technical skill, all these things aside, like you're going to, if you pivot over, you're going to have to run really hard and fast. So right. you should practice running really hard and fast now. Mm. And another way to put that, I think, is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so when I was a teacher, I thought, okay, I could, I am going to operate and do everything I can at the highest level possible because this is what's given to me. One classroom, go hard in the paint. Became a... Number one classroom in the school. We became the number one school in the city, county, district, whatever. And they're working at a school, number one school in the country at the time. Our classroom became the number one in Northern California. And then you go and you transform the, one of the lowest performing schools, getting all that lessons and turning them into a spotlight school. It's the relentless pursuit of the mission. What's your goal here? Hey, your goal is to help as many students as possible. Well. Don't you dare, don't you dare not take that with the utmost seriousness. Cause if you miss your, if you miss on that KPI, what happens? Well, oh, a kid doesn't graduate, may increase their chances of going to prison or not getting a job or being a high earner or not transforming the trajectory of their entire family, that's a huge weight on your shoulders, right? you better got right. to take that KPI incredibly seriously. And so for me, it was, I just had a relentless approach to the mission. And it was whether I lost sleep or spent money out of my own pocket or whatever, like I was going to make that happen. And, and when I decided to transition over to the startup world, the thing that was a, a, the moment of acuity was when I found out I was having my son mm-hmm. and I realized, Hey, I got to provide with a capital P for my own. It just, it is what it is. You become the nesting mode, whatever the hell that is, whatever biological trigger that was, but Hey, it, it did something. And so, and then I, and, and I think the other part is part of that conversation with myself was one day I'm going to ask my son to go after his dream. Mm -hmm. One of the dreams I've always had, that kind of shut out because I was in my thirties at the time. Right. Was to go to Hover. So if I like, if I had a son in my, and he was in his thirties and had this, this dream out there, I would tell him to freaking go after it. Who cares? Just do it. And so I decided to just apply it to myself and that's what Harvard was. That's what going after these startups. And yeah, that was, yeah, that, that was the. Was.
1: That's a great mindset to have in everything you do, like whatever you're giving, make the best out of it and more. Now, what does two, two questions here, what does hard work mean to you? Cause I feel like that word gets thrown out a lot. And I think for a lot of people, it might mean different things. And I wanted to ask you what your definition of hard work is. And also, how do you get, you might be committed to the mission, right? But in order to achieve great things, most likely you're going to need to enroll other people into that same mission, right? How do you get them to commit to that same level? It's a great question. So
0: hard work, one, I, I totally agree with you. It is so subjective. Mm-hmm. I will tell you the picture that comes to mind when I think of hard work. I think about My non-English speaking father waking up every morning at five in the morning to go fold socks and sell clothes with my mom in inner city, Oakland, Mm -hmm. dollars for five socks, doing that for 16 years to provide for the family. You know, it's like, Hey, what are we all excited for? First of the month? Why that's when welfare checks come out. Oh, dad's sick. All right. You're not going to school today. Let's go sell some socks. Let's go out to freaking the McDonald's for lunch, get the sock, get the money out of our sock and check how, how well we're doing today. You know what I mean? That's And transforming the, the family van into a, a cargo van where we showcase all of these things that it is that, I mean, that to me is like hard work. And so I think with that paradigm, now what am I, a knowledge worker, like some I click and type stuff at, you know what I'm saying? So I know what physically difficult labor looks like mm-hmm. and feels and applying that to this white collar world, it's a joke. What most, what I understand for most people, when I hear, oh, this is very difficult, I realize I don't think we're playing with the same configuration. And I think that's why I feel like I found some level of success because I've only been doing, I've only been in tech for two and a half years and in that two and a half years, well, if I'm putting in 80 hours, is it just two and a half years or is that five years? I don't know. And so, um, that, yeah, I think that's a hard work is re- really closely akin to having a, like, it, it depends on your calling for pain. And for me, I'm always practicing to increase my pain tolerance. Yeah, and then I
1: think you asked this question. What was the... No, that's a great answer about hard oh, okay. work. Um, And I grew up in, not to the extreme, but similar where both mom and dad had to work. They had like a shoe store and it just, it gives a perspective, right? It, it, it lets you see that, hey, whatever you think it's hard now, like it, it's compared to what your parents had to go through. Come on, you can do better. I, I don't know. That's what's going it's on in true. my brain. <laughs> it's true. I completely agree. I mean, one, it's like a,
0: it's almost like a unit of measure. <laughs> would you rather do it for me was, would I rather do one box of bundle, taping up socks for like an entire Saturday? Right. I used to like Tom's story. I used to call all my friends over, hey, I'll get you pizza and hey, we'll phone like <laughs> socks together in our little sweatshop garage. I mean, it was painful. Right. But if that, if let's say that's one unit of work, Versus one year of work here, hey, this is, create this deck and do that. I mean, it just pales in comparison. And yeah. so it's,
1: yeah, anyway, that's. Yeah. And then the the other question, because you, know, you were talking about committing to the mission, about helping and serving people. Mm-hmm. And you were given the example of, of the schools and how you were driven because you wanted every single student to succeed. And you were committed to the, to the mission. But I was curious about how you get other teammates to commit to that same level. I think you have to one part, just, you just have to lead by
0: example. Mm-hmm. If I'm being candid, like there's only so words or talk is so cheap. Decks mm-hmm. are cheap. Frameworks are cheap. All of that. It's all just generic nonsense until someone's actually, who's actually doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the best way to galvanize the troops. Do the damn thing. And so that's the only thing I know is that like when I, and that's the best teams I find, why? Cause I'm that working face to face with you saying, these mm-hmm. are, how do I convince you to do this versus what if you saw me without questioning or anything, you just see me always on. Mm-hmm. And then as I look up, I look over to my right. Oh, you You're shoulder to shoulder with me mm-hmm. and we're headed in this direction. That I think is a better approach to work. It's not in this light. How many one-on-ones can you have? How much work can we do together, shoulder to shoulder, towards the same mission? And I think when you're like just relentlessly marching on, hey, good day, bad day, you show up. Hey, whatever, rain or shine, you just keep going. That I find is, there's, there's no real science to it. It's just show up and do it and don't ask people to do things that you are not willing to do or have not done yourself.
1: How do you bring that into a remote environment? Oh, that, that visibility. That's a great question. Okay, so this sounds unhealthy and
0: it is. <laughs> so listen to hear, don't listen to learn. But I'll give one example from my most recent gig where you're on Teams, right? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting how sensitive you get to certain signals in the workplace, right? For example, how fast do you respond to your messages? Mm. Oh, does your is your status green or... Are you weirdly yellow all the time Mm. over there? Are you available for one-on-ones and listen, this sounds, Hey, wow. That's like a little looking over your shoulder. It feels a little, all the things, but you get to a rhythm, you really get to a rhythm in, in, in that kind of work. So for example, I had teams in India there, I know they were on two, three in the morning. Mm -hmm. And so when they see me working at three, four in the morning, they know Hey, I'm at my fifth meeting by freaking 9 AM with the U S team. Oh, you, oh, oh wait, I'm still calling Albert at 11 o'clock at night to sort out some things because these are like, whatever people on the East coast they just working those hours. Oh, and he responds and he like unlocks his constraint in the business right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And if you do that in a consistent enough time and you start building out those rhythms one, dude, I will reiterate it is unhealthy and I would Not advise other people to do it. But I have found that when I get into that rhythm, it is, it is, it's just a pop, it becomes palpable,
1: right? It's not just talk, it's doing. Yeah. No, I've had challenges with the remote environment visibility, right? And the workplace expectations. If your little green light on Slack is off, you get judged or, or, yeah, no, it's like real. And and the, I guess it really depends on the company and the company culture, right? Because I've had places where they're laid back and, oh, you're green, you know, whatever, as soon as they're on.
0: Okay, so I will say this, okay, so that, I just say that more to say, there's a, this weird tactical, technical element to, oh, what, how do you get this sense of? camaraderie, working hard together, these weird signals that no one really cares about, but it's just, oh, like you're down, you're always down. Let's go. Like (laughs) you clearly don't have another gig you're working on. Like we're, we can do this thing in real time if we need to, like we're in the office. Okay. But I think the other part of galvanizing and pushing people towards is it's like this. You go exercise, you go to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. You would likely get bored or not grow. If you did the same weight, same rep, same intensity, same time between sets every week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. But, but why do you keep going back? Hey, I went from 10 to 15 to 30 to 50 to 70 to 123, 15, 420, 405, whatever. Why? Because you feel like, oh, shoot, I am always pushing at my zone of proximal development. Right? Mm-hmm. So you have, we all have that healthy discomfort zone, right? Too far out. Oh shoot! Burnout, overwhelmed, shut down. Don't know what to do. Too close. Ah, I can do this in my sleep. Not really engaged. Okay, cool. Next. Okay, was well, there a better job elsewhere? But if you get to this place of oh shit, I'm I just learned something new. I got a little bit better at something I used to suck at. Oh wait, I can talk about this with authority and with confidence. Oh, mm-hmm. I can you know, right, like I could teach someone else to do this thing now. Yeah. Oh, I, I actually earned that bullet point on my resume, and I can. And it's not a it's not a little honest lie like that thing. That like that part, if you can get everyone on your team there, that's why I was, one of the things I want to mention was upskilling, right? If everyone is learning and growing, like that is the healthiest culture possible. It's the healthiest culture possible because what happens when someone is up for promotion? You need to hire someone. You have been upskilling someone and leading them to take your job. And you've been shouting them out, giving them visibility to hire up all this stuff. And you've been like selfish with the way that you're managing your team because you're just Break in proud of all the things that they've done, right? And so that when you bring that level of culture to that team, oh, it's there. Right. So, hey, yeah, did I name drop you all the time? I took no credit for all the work you did when I met with our CEO today. Hey, he actually wants to have a talk with you. He asked me about something. I told him, You should talk to this guy, because he's the one who actually owns it and does it. That, if you can get when you get there and you start acting and behaving in a way that is actually others oriented to help them Mm -hmm. you in a unknowingly, perhaps unconsciously you're helping the entire team and actually yourself. I I actually think the best kind of leadership is self-forgetful. What do you mean by that? I think the I'll put it another way. I think the best leadership, the the key feature in leadership is humility. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think some people misconstrue humility to be thinking less of oneself. Mm. Let me talk myself down. Let me say, oh, I didn't really do that. And you, you like suck at taking compliments or whatever. Okay. But that's actually, that's not humility. That's, you're just like, it's kind of, it's not telling the truth. If you actually did something, you're right. You don't need to talk yourself down. You just say it like it is, right? Mm-hmm. I actually think humility looks more like you're just not thinking about yourself as often. Mm, I like that. what are you thinking about you're thinking about other people yeah did i do that yeah i did do that who else did did that this person did it did something that we didn't talk about today that person did that don't forget about that why are you talking about me right now? okay yeah cool yeah that's great i did that but look at what this person is doing what Mm. this direct report is doing and that's i mean that i think is i'm not always there and i don't live there all the time
1: but i aspire to do so more and more it's every time i leave i love that if if we could do that more inside organizations, and instead of being a, about you, being about your teammates and and helping them get noticed, man, the workplace will be much different.
0: <laughs> yes, and and this this is actually something I learned when I was teaching
1: is that children are great at reading
0: your bullshit. Oh my god, yes. Oh, they're the best, and they're even better because they just tell you, they're like, yeah. hey, looks like you didn't prepare today. <laughs> But it's like, whatever, they'll just, they see it. They see not what you say, but what you do. And guess what? We're all children in some ways, right? We're, we don't outgrow that. We all sense it in some ways. Right. And so it's funny. I bet money, despite people not being in the calls with those higher ups, the executive leadership, why is it that we get a sense of what's being said when we're not, even in calls, we're not a part of. Right, happens. I don't know. It happens all the time, though. I know because <laughs> there's. It just it emanates, right? You can't. It's like a. It's like a aroma, right? Right, bro. If I'm cook, if I'm cooking, if you before you even step into my house, if I just cook for a few hours, what the hell I'm cooking? What's behind that door? I mm-hmm. can't hide that. I can't hide that scent. And I think it's the same way. Even behind closed doors, like that leadership, the the way that you command yourself and you know, just share what out what, whatever you're doing, it emanates beyond those walls. And I think it, and that's why I think it's so important to have that level of integrity, whether you're visibly in front of the people you want to impress, or you're just, hey, you know what? This is just the way that I operate all the time. I think that level of integrity is rare and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not always there, but it's such an important ingredient to,
1: to great leadership. Yeah, I know that's so important. 2023, it's been an interesting year, lots of changes happening, disruption of AI, the economy, and when you mentioned upskilling, learning and upskilling, I wanted to ask you like, how can we keep up with all the changes, right, to be constantly learning and upskilling and what does learning mean? Does it mean taking a certification and getting that diploma and Oh, I I learned this because I have the certificate, or, or how do you define learning and, and upskilling? Yeah, Caesar, I think
0: learning is a disposition. It's a mindset. It's a disposition. I mean, it's not a title. It's not a phase of life. Mm-hmm. Even in classrooms, and we're supposed to be learners, students, learners. We've all been in those classes that were nonsense. We rolled our eyes, fell asleep, eyes glazed over, whatever, (laughs) right? But you're the learner. Wait, you were officially, there was a book in your face. You were doing the homework. You are totally disengaged. Your mindset wasn't there. And then there are those times, or maybe it's a season in life. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a particular subject where your eyes lit up and you were engaged. You had a point of view on something and you were just in it. And whether it was assigned or not, you went home and Googled it, you YouTubed it, what have you, Mm. right? And I think that is the approach. I think that's, you need to find out where you like, like the things that you like to learn and where you kind of thrive in. And I think that's uh, super important. So I think it's generally a mindset. And I think that the topic of study uh, can be helpful. And if you don't find yourself having that learner disposition, maybe you're not studying or focused on the right thing, right? So there's generally that. I think, and so I think with that mindset, kind of having this... I think part of learning is having a sober judgment, sober self judgment. For example, I'll just admit a weakness of mine. A weakness of mine is P and L fluency. Have I owned P and L? Absolutely. Have I worked through uh, budgeting and revenue forecasts, all the things I have for multiple verticals? Sure. I've done all of that presented to the board on these things. Yes. But do I know that it's a, gap in my game personally. Yeah, I think so. I could Mm -hmm. build more, be a little bit more fluent, go from the intermediate to maybe advanced to kind of native language kind of speak. And so one way I'm going to enroll in a community college class online to take principles of accounting. Why? I like that framework. I'm going to see if it works, but other ways. Sure. Is I know everyone could say, well, could you take a Gumroad class? Could you get all these assets from, yeah. Mm -hmm. No problem. The mode or medium is, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Be as creative as you want. Go pick someone's brain. Go get a coffee chat with a CFO. Find your finance friend and do all of that is, the mode in which you do it is so not important. Mm -hmm. But if you want, if you have a sober assessment of yourself, you find out what your gap is and it's just bridge the gap. Find out the way, whatever works best for you. And what I found is and, and again, it's kind of like the way you do anything is the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well, have a relentless approach to your learning, right? Like invest in yourself, like in a really significant way. I think that is, it is shocking. What's, what's shocking, Caesar? So many people read hundreds, thousands of pages because some guy or gal with glasses on the front of the classroom told them to. Yeah. I said, hey, I'm going to give you a letter grade and your parents are going to reward you or not or whatever. And you did all this stuff. You stayed up late all nighters to get a little letter grade. And then when it comes to your own self-improvement, so many people are like, and in, in that realm, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and in student debt to learn all this stuff. But it's kind of like in that Goodwill hunting scene. It's, hey, you dropped 150 grand on a, on a book that you could have got in an education you could have got in $1.50 and late charge at the local library. Dude, like... Why is it so hard for us to learn when we don't have financial skin in the game? Mm. And let's be honest, if that is your personality type where it's like, bro, I need financial skin in the game. Okay, then pay a hundred bucks an hour to an executive coach and do whatever. Because listen, some people can go to the gym and just go hard in the paint without a trainer. Right. Pay nothing, $10 plan of fitness, go to the park, free calisthenics. But other people need to pay for a personal trainer. I used to be one. It actually matters in the way you do it. Figure it out for yourself. Whatever you do, just do it, right? You just got to get out there and uh, relentlessly the work.
1: Yeah, you got to use what you have, right? If it's money and, and, and you don't like losing money because you're paying a coach, right? And that's going to drive you, mm-hmm. do that, right? Or if it's like, hey, my parents grew up poor and, and I want the opposite of that for me, we use that, right? Whatever it is that can drive you Yes. And keep you on that path of continuous growing and learning. I think you use that, right? There's not one thing that yes. you got to use. Yes. But generally just knowing, well,
0: this is for myself is skin in the game matters. Mm-hmm. Like you can have skin in the game. doesn't always have to be monetary. It can be telling your group of friends, Hey guys, I'm going to take this course. Check it on me in a month, right? Post it on, post about it on LinkedIn have a little bit of social accountability, whatever, I don't care what it is, but I Mm -hmm. personally, what I found is skin in the game uh, is it's hard to replace that.
1: Yeah. No, you, you gotta have some, some stakes in the game, right? Yes. Um, Throughout your career, right? Has there been a moment where you felt like it was hard, right? And you felt like, Hey, you you either failed or you, you were almost at that point of like, why am I doing this? Do you have a favorite failure of yours that, that taught you a very important lesson? Yeah, I want to touch on that because I think learning from success is, is awesome, but I think learning from failures is, is an even bigger and more rewarding lesson, right? So I wanted to ask you if you had any moment in your career or in your personal life where a failure taught you uh, a very valuable lesson. One, more than I can count.
0: And right when you said that, like a hundred of them just flashed before my ass. <laughs> that's the varying degrees of embarrassment and intensity, all the things. But that, like you offer, that's part of the learning process. That's why you have to have a relentless mindset and have a long view of your career. Otherwise, if you didn't, I think failures can shrink some people. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I also, it's like, what is it? The heat that, wel- that melts wax is the same heat that bakes clay. It's like failure can harden you or it can soften you, right? Mm-hmm. And I prefer to think that failure makes me stronger in that sense. I think one significant failure was when I was in the nonprofit sector. And this is where integrity is very important. I learned that senior leadership wanted to commit, they wanted to exercise a lack of integrity. And I'll just leave it there. Mm-hmm. And I was very adamant about my approach. I was very firm in my stance, saying, no, won't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time my my skill set, the tools that I had in my toolkit were too nascent, it was too raw, it was not refined. How do you raise the temperature? How do you think of a creative solution? How do you build consensus? How do you negotiate? How do you figure these things out? In my, at the time, I think my world was black and white, Mm. this bad, and whoever thinks this way, also bad and all the things. Don't get me wrong. When it comes to issues of integrity, I actually still think, it's a hill to die on. Okay. Because you only practice, you only get good at what you practice. So if you practice even like small levels of, let's say not being true to your morals or what is right, all these principles or legal, let's just to be more objective. You're like the law, <laughs> if yeah. you practice unlawfulness, like you're only going to get better at it. So I'd actually argue like, don't let that even be a, don't let it become a gray area when it comes to those things. Mm. And, and so don't get me wrong, I, I still think that there's that, but yeah, how do you win people over? And when I look back in hindsight, like the upside versus the risk, reward, it was so easy to persuade. If I had my, if I had better persuasion skills of persuasion, like I I felt like I could have kept the org on track raising the temperature with the leaders while setting a good example and all the things. So that's one thing. And I think it just makes, and I think this is one thing when you're, especially a new leader is how important soft skills are. Mm. It is of paramount importance. It's almost, it's easy to speak about in theory, strategy, negotiation, persuasion, all this stuff, building consensus. It's easy to say. But it is supremely difficult to do. And what I learned, the higher up you go, the further in you go, the more adept people are at that. And you got to be able to,
1: you have to equip yourself with those. So the failure was that you were not ready to face that particular situation with the limited soft skills and toolkit that you had available at that time. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we get put in situations where you don't have the toolkit, you don't have the... I guess, a skill set, but you have to try to figure it out. Yes. And one of the things I was thinking about was that there's a lot of people out there that, and I've been in this situation myself before, is when the organization does something that goes against your values, what do you do? Do you suck it up? Do you speak up? I bet that a lot of people suck it up, especially in this very volatile environment, right? Because they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want a repercussion. But what's the, I guess, what's the balance there when the organization goes against your values? Do you just suck it up or, yeah, what do you do?
0: (laughs) Man, that's such a great question. I will say you have to, one, I think people have their own set of values, morals. That has a little bit of an asterisk. I will share mine. I think there are tiers of offenses, Mm. right? There's, I think tier one, the majors like ethical, legal, humane, all those things that's sacred. Mm -hmm. That is a, that is what I, that's a hill to die on. I actually, when I learned this lesson was a a mentor of mine, one of the Berkeley mentors, her name was Lynn, Lynn Lee. And I remember I told her about a struggle I had in class. She was my tutor and about how I wanted to cheat on this Mm -hmm. test. But I (laughs) didn't, but I didn't, right? And, but I told her about my struggle. I was like, oh, it was so tempting. And I decided not to. And she said, she reasserted this point that she said, Albert, I would rather you fail with integrity Mm. than A by compromising your morals. That has never left me. Wow. And I I think you have to operate in that. uh, You have to approach some of these issues. uh, and And I bring that up from, that was a high school lesson. I bring up that. Lesson from when I was a child, because I think some values, if you cannot, if you cannot convince a child that this is about your decision here, then you're probably making the wrong decision. Yeah, you have to make you have to make all these justifications, be all long winded about it, dude. Like you have to ask yourself, and here's this is so interesting. Like we end up sometimes we the listen the the temptation kind of compromise Mm -hmm. it's so man it's so tricky and i certainly figured i've certainly messed up many times when oh when do you not the and like you said self-preservation or what i (laughs) have it's it oh it is remarkable it's remarkable and i don't want to understate it it's so difficult right but here's where i'll here's what i'll lean on is often when these things come up people reach out to people reach out to their personal board of advisors Mm, that's right formal one or not. It's like the mentor thing, right? Is he your mentor or, yeah. or whatever? So yeah, I've you to talk to your friends, right? You're going to talk to your friends, people who may have been there, done that or what have you. And that's where, well, do you have a, a board of advisors who've been there, done that, because mm-hmm. people, do you trust people who are going to tell you things that are going to be hard to hear.
2: Right? Yeah.
0: Like you have someone who's going to say, Hey, I have an uncompromising view of, of morality and someone might say, guess what? It was good that you got the job. It might be good that you left the job. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Like how long can you be? Listen, it's not everything is forever. And yeah. when you look and just at the end of the day, like what's a metric that I like to use is would you want your child, like what decision would you make if your child was in that meeting or in the company? Yeah. And I mean, that's me. And, and that was actually the metric we use at school. Would you want your own, would you send your own child to your school? That's it. A- That will make you think. That's a big one. (laughs) You know know what's crazy, Caesar? I know some people who've done some morally decrepit things, even with their children at the company. Okay, yeah, it's not (laughs) that. That's not a. It's not a (laughs) foolproof way of of seeing the world, but that's one that that works. That's been helpful to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least for us parents and dads, kids are the ultimate measuring stick. (laughs) Awesome, Albert. Well, I wanna. Carp time to do what I call a rapid-fire round, where I basically ask you a question and you give me your tough-of-mind 30, 40-second answer. I know always these are easy questions, but it's a fun way to, to wrap up the, the episode. The first question I have is, one book that has influenced your life? The Bible. Tell me more.
0: Well, it's kind of like at the start of the interview, I mean, what was, what, made me go from almost like this knuckle dragging animal who thought with just punishment, avoidance and trying to get a reward to something where, you know, I saw life at a higher
1: level. Mm. And, it's, and, and I know this is rubber fire, but I'm curious at what point was the Bible introduced
0: to into very life? Age, very young age all throughout, but the coin didn't drop until I saw myself in the mirror.
1: Yeah, the Bible, I grew up with the Bible as well. And my parents were always like reading. Yes. Best book ever. All the lessons in there. Yep. Awesome. Well, next question. One of the most worthwhile investments that you have made recently, and this could be financial, it could be a physical tool or a relationship. I'll say three things. My wife, coaching Mm -hmm. slash counseling, and my fitness. I love those. Those are great investments to make, especially number one, the wife. <laughs> All right, next, next question. Is there a life model that you live by or perhaps a, a quote that you reflect on often?
0: One is live double portions. Mm, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, when uh, maybe 2009, my best friend was uh, shot and killed just before graduation from Cal. Mm. And a couple months later, I went to this global leadership retreat and one of the leaders there, when I was sharing with him about what had happened, he said, this means that now you're meant to live double portions, like one for him and one for me.
2: I'm sorry to hear about that by your friend. It's okay. Thank you. And that's powerful. Love that. All right. Next question. Is there is there
1: a habit or a specific uh, ritual that you have implemented you know within the last year that you felt like significantly contributed to your mental and p- physical health?
0: Yeah, I will say this: when you're in your mid thirties, man, start to you start to feel that man, and it's real. Yeah, as a parent, you're in the city doing a startup thing. I mean, it just it really wears on you and. I think this actually one relatively recently is yeah just going out and running and doing calisthenics. Yeah, like this morning, do a couple hundred pushups, do a hundred pullups, go for a run, and go to work. And then I think another one has been my friend Steve said this, and this is our little we have a little mastermind group we are a part of, and every week we share out our threes, so three things that we're working on or our goals mm. for that week just personally slash professionally and that has kept me given me that level of social accountability and give me direction uh, for each week
1: yeah that's very powerful to have a mastermind group or a group where, where you share what you're working on yes we, we talked about accountability earlier on and what you mentioned too it's funny because my concept of working out has shifted over the years Before, I thought it was like lifting heavy. Now it's like running, stretching, calisthenics. I just want to feel like I am functional. It's true.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No more ego lifting. Yeah. It's just functional fitness. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I lift 20 pounds? (laughs) Awesome. Is there, outside of working out, is there any hobby or a particular interest that you practice on a regular basis? Mm, Sir, could you elaborate? Yeah, no. If 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 you have a hobby that oh, outside of work,
0: yeah, I I love fishing. So mm. that's a, a personal hobby of mine, and yeah, just a bit of a green thumb.
1: Yeah, when what, what, when was the last time you went fishing?
0: On Saturday.
2: Nice.
1: Yeah,
0: caught like five five catfish with my son.
1: It was nice. Oh man, those are the best moments.
2: Mm-hmm. I love that.
1: I love that. All right, Albert. So, last question I have here. You have such a diverse background and experiences, and I wanted to close off the episode. If you were talking to your younger self or other younger talent out there, what advice would you give them in terms of how to approach their career, or maybe someone that's going through a transition? Right. Well, I know you personally are are, are going through one. Like, what what advice would you give yourself? in as it relates to career, to pivots, and all this constant change that we're always facing? Yeah, great question.
0: Yeah, there's actually a few things. One is I, partly what I'd say to myself and, and to others is that you don't need to ask for permission. Mm. You can just do it. And I think oftentimes it can be intimidating because we feel like other people know better, mm-hmm. but they don't. They sure wisdom counts, it does experience counts, all of that. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but generally no one knows what they're doing. Yep. Look back 30 (laughs) years, how many contrary things were people doing 30 years ago? Mm -hmm. 40 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And guess what? We're doing nonsensical things right now. Happening right now. In a hundred years, someone's going to think you're a genius because you decided to do something, some different type of way. And so I think it's just, yeah, no, no one knows what the hell they're doing. Yep. ask your permission. And just do it. I don't know what I'm doing with this podcast, but I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I I actually, I coach people all the time because I think it's so important to learn and do and get yourself, mm-hmm. but nothing crystallizes learning like teaching someone else. I'd, I, nothing better. Okay. And probably the most teaching, uh, most effective teaching method I've accrued over like almost a decade mm-hmm. of, of being in schools. But one of the things I, I met up with a few of my former students who are now like in college and all these things. And it's funny, one of them, <clears throat> he goes to Cal mm-hmm. and as she was sharing what she was doing, she's like, oh, but she was qualifying why this particular class she was taking was not at the hard one. And I just thought, you know, hell cares who, like, where is it that we thought that you're at the number one public university in the country, or one of the top schools in the world, and you have to qualify this incredible class, by the way, that you're taking, and to say, and that kind of cut yourself down a bit.
2: Mm. Right?
0: Yeah. Why did you have to do that? And it's funny, I just, I recall that because that's what I did when I was at Cal. I do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're right, and you do it all the time. For example, it's like in, in college, it's, oh, you might not be taking calculus. You're doing something like statistics or something. Oh, I'm not doing that one. Or not the high, the human biology, but I'm doing plant biology. Mm-hmm. Or if you're at a startup, it's, oh, well, I'm at just a series A, not a series C. And, oh, wait, but I'm, a, I'm this title, but it's just, we're not making as much revenue. And, oh, we're, it's not this investor. And we just, we do that to ourselves so often. Mm-hmm. And we just find ways to kind of limit ourselves and talk it down and and convince ourselves to not just go for it and think we're not
1: ready or worthy of it and it's just you know what no one is and just go for it yeah i think it's because we're afraid to disappoint people and let their expectations down right so we use cards just like i'm just a podcaster i'm just a teacher mm-hmm. i'm just getting started with my startup but right? i'm just and that just man it cripples wow. so many people oh wow, it's a huge word it's a deep word and
0: and I think this is where being self-forgetful is helpful, right? Mm-hmm. Because here, put that on the flip side. What if you are a series DC level Ivy League grad, blah, 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 right? What if, or, oh, I got acquired IP or whatever that metric is for you. What if you do get there? Right. Do you become an arrogant asshole? Yeah. And all you're thinking about is yourself. You become this narcissistic, power-hungry person. Yeah, I'm sorry to am stereotyping, but I'm just saying. But that's because, like, when you're so mindful of yourself, in your weaknesses or your strengths, it just becomes this like navel-gazing thing, right? You just get co- so consumed in your own hype, yeah. Right? And the other side is, would you get so debilitated by your own lack, your own gap in skills, mm-hmm. if you just stop thinking about yourself? You know what I mean? What if you just thought about the mission? What that's if you it. just relentlessly went after it and didn't care about oh my gosh, how do I appear to other people? And you just did the work. And then it's, well, we've all actually seen those leaders. Mm-hmm. Or, who oh, you seem to kind of have it all. You're approachable. You, you kind of don't mind the title. You're working with like the analysts and the interns and wait, but you're the series D blah, blah, blah. And so it's just, it, I think it's one of those. Yeah. And anyway, that's what I would kind of center it all back to is being so self-forgetful.
1: So I love that. And that's a great way to wrap up the episode. Albert, thanks so much for joining, for sharing a bit about your journey. We got so many valuable lessons in this episode. And yeah, you know what? If people want to reach out, they, maybe they listen to this and they want to reach out, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Yeah, just LinkedIn, albert-s-chun. And... Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Albert. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to catching up in a future episode.
0: For sure. Thanks
1: either. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.